Right. I'll do what I always do. <laughs> I always do this. Have you noticed? <laughs> Every time. It's because I like to be like this. Well, can just, um, can I just take that thing off? what do you want? Just this a, one. Thank you. There you go. Right, Sorry. Got the clicker. Got the notes. They've been chopped. See this? It's my daughter this morning. <laughs> Still, never mind. Maybe that was a message. <laughs> well, okay. Well, if you look up on the screen, you'll be able to see that um, our series at the moment is making a difference where you are, and our topic is everyone needs good neighbours. Well, I couldn't help myself really when I came to look at this, but I had to Google, um, obviously, neighbours theme tune. And there are an amazing amount of stuff on there. You can get a whole medley of every single neighbours theme tune from the beginning to now. And you see how it's changed. There you go. If you want a video of the neighbours' weddings around the 1980s, see Mike Bruff. (laughs) Okay. Well, that's that's by the way. So the series is making a difference where you are. Um, and we want to stress, as we did on our, when we went for, away for a day, we started with the gospel. And we're going to keep coming back to that. That this is not a series that is saying try harder. Tush, mush, mush, try harder. You need to work harder. We looked earlier at how we are salt and light. And that is not that we should be, but that we are. When the Holy Spirit dwells in each one of us, we are salt and life. So that is wherever we are, wherever we find ourselves at school, where our children go to school, whether it's our workplace, whether it's a group or a club that we belong to, whether it's the neighbours, the people in the flat next door, that is where we are. And just by our very presence we are making a difference. But we've been thinking about this idea of front line, the place where we um, most, inc- most have opportunities, I guess. So front line can basically be defined as a place where you spend much of your time. It's a place where you meet people who don't know Jesus. It's the place where God has called you, or I might even say just the place that you are, where God has placed you. This is not about going to find a place to serve God. And it's a place of possibility and potential. And that's really important, isn't it? It's a place of possibility and potential, not through us working harder, but through us allowing the Spirit to work through us. So in our house groups, we'll be looking at that unique place that we have been put Um, where we want God to use us, but we also want God to change us where we are. So today we're looking at neighbours. Now, it's not everyone's front line, is it? But everyone has, I presume, unless you are incredibly wealthy and you live in this beautiful mansion surrounded by fields as far as the eye can see, you have a neighbour, particularly if you live in Southampton. Probably the neighbour is a little bit closer than you'd like them to be. (laughs) But I was interested when I looked at this that I found this statistic. The Office of National Statistics found us to be the loneliest country in Europe. I didn't like that. It found that we were less likely to have strong friendships or know our neighbours than any inhabitant 
Oh, sorry, than inhabitants of any other country in the, uni- in the EU. You believe that? Give me a nod if you actually think, yeah, that sounds about right. Okay, there's a few people nodding. It's sad, isn't it? Now, I didn't find some great scholar, but I, <laughs> I found a guy from Churchill Home Insurance. <laughs> sorry about that, academics amongst you. But this is what he said, and I think it's relevant. We could say this too. Relationships with our neighbours have changed significantly over the years because the way we live, work and socialise has evolved. We move homes more frequently, spend a lot less time communicating face-to-face and are more cautious about who we welcome into our homes. As a result, we know very little about our neighbours as we all get on with our own busy lives. And as I said, I don't think he's a scholar, but I think what he says is pretty true. Not knowing our neighbours, of course, or feeling like maybe we're not a part of our road or our flats or wherever we are, doesn't necessarily equal loneliness. But I think it can be a greater indication of what has happened in our country. We, we kind of went to that, if you studied sociology at school like I did, we went to that kind of nuclear family. But we're way beyond that now, aren't we? We're in a totally different place of complete individualistic society. So... Here's a little quiz. Okay, this might not be how your road uh, works, okay, depending on where you live, but imagine that's you and those are the houses next to you and opposite you. Um, Can you name your neighbours? First name, family name, you'll get an extra bonus for the family name. (laughs) God admit, I couldn't do any family names. Alright, well then, um, hands up for those smarty pants who could name every single neighbour. Gold stars, gold stars. Um, Hands up if you're like me and you were really struggling. Oh, (laughs) okay. What about this? How good a neighbour are you? Zero being rubbish, ten being amazing. Perfect, in fact. Okay, put your hands up if you think you are above five. Oh, look at that. Hey, put your hand up if you think you're below five. I feel like I was below five. Now, many of us know that Jesus told, obviously, the Good Samaritan, the good Samaritan or what it is to be a good neighbour. It's a parable, a story that Jesus used to teach Um, And it was a response to someone saying, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Now, we might think when we think about eternal life, oh, I really don't actually want to live forever. Or you might think, oh, the thought of praising God forever, singing those, oh, I just really struggle with the whole singing thing. But this isn't what Jesus is talking about. The eternal life, just think of it in terms of a quality of life, a depth of life, the way that we were meant to live life in relationship with God. And that starts now. 
So we're talking about a quality of life that does indeed go on forever. So let's read our passage. You'll find it in Luke chapter 10, verses 25 to 37. So Luke chapter, t- Luke chapter 10. And Luke is part of the New Testament, so you're going to find it the, towards the back of the Bible. You've got Matthew, Mark, Luke. And chapter 10 is on page 1041. If you need a little bit of help, that's fine. And you'll see it says Jesus sends out the 72. Turn the page 1042 and you'll see the parable of the good Samaritan. So let's read this together. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law, he replied. How do you read it? He answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. You've answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this and you will live. But he wanted to justify himself, so he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? In reply, Jesus said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho When he fell into the hands of robbers, they stripped him of his clothes, beat him and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So too a Levite, when he came to to the place and saw him pass by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was and when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn and took care of him. The next day he took out two silver coins and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. Jesus told him, go and do likewise. Go and do likewise. Okay, you can put that in front of you. So here is a man, an expert in the law. Now he knows his Old Testament. He'll have studied it from childhood. He'll have memorized huge chunks of it. He teaches it regularly. He debates it with others. He knows his stuff. And he stands up to test Jesus. Now if you read through the other Gospels, you'll see that this did happen a number of times. People stood up to test him. They like to do it. In fact, in one place it says, which we'll come to later, it says the Samaritans, having silenced them, they didn't have anything they could actually ask him anymore, dare ask him. Then the Pharisees stood up and said, oh, well, we will test him now. So here he stands up to test Jesus. Have you ever done that? Tested God. Had a question. Well, what about this God? Because I don't quite understand. Or I'm not sure you've got that right because, oh, it doesn't really work for me. We probably all have questions and that is okay. God is more than able to deal with our questions. 
But Jesus often loves to answer our questions with a question, and he does that here. It's a good way of teaching, isn't it? If someone says to you, what about this? You say, what do you think about this? You're putting it back on them, and Jesus often does this. So the man answers Jesus. Let's see if we can find it. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength, and with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. What must I do to inherit that quality of life? In fact, Jesus is too recorded as saying this, these exact words in response to someone saying to him, what is the greatest commandment? And he says, this is the greatest commandment, and the second greatest commandment is love your neighbor as yourself. So man's got it right, and Jesus said, you've answered correctly. But what does it say? The man wants to justify himself. Okay, he doesn't want to look silly. That was an obvious answer. He'll say, there was, there's bigger stuff in here. Have you wrestled with this? He says, well, who is your neighbor? Who is my neighbor? And Jesus responds with this very simple parable. He likes to make things simple. Have you noticed that? They're simple but complex. So this man is traveling on this dangerous road. And this was a notorious road. It was called the Bloody Pass. Okay, everyone knew it's dangerous. It's not where you want to go ever. But it was the quickest, most direct route from Jericho to Jerusalem. So lots of people did it, even though it was really dangerous. You were likely to be mugged. And so they're passing fast because you don't want to stop on this road. And here we have a priest and a Levite. These are like this expert in the law. They know the law. They teach it. They are upstanding members of the community. They're people we might consider good people. They maybe lead um, a kind of community of people who claim to love and follow God. And here they are. And instead of stopping, they hurry by. And we can see their reasons, can't we? We don't want to stop. We don't know anything about this man on the road. But Jesus says a Samaritan stopped. Now, to understand the animosity between these two, this is not like the animosity maybe between Wales and England over rugby or something. Okay, I found this little joke. After the 33 thrashing on Saturday, the English team managers are taking the team on a trip to Longleat as it will be the only chance they'll have to go on a lion's tour. (laughs) See, I'm English and I went for that one. (laughs) But it's not this type of rivalry. This is more like your Palestinian-Israel rivalry. So I want you to hold that in your mind. It's an immense picture that Jesus paints of a man who they consider to not be quite as good as them. In fact, it's someone that they consider to have drifted away from God, not quite doing what God wants them to do. In fact, they're over there and we over here are the good people that are following God. Jesus here, he changes the question from who is my neighbor to what does my neighbor look like? What does it look like to be a neighbor? The one who had mercy on him, says the teacher of the law. Even the word Samaritan, he doesn't want to say. He just says the one. When Jesus fleshes out what loving a neighbor looks like, the expert of the law 
and us see simply that we find ourselves not quite matching up. Can anyone actually be that self-sacrificing? Can anyone actually be like that? To not only to help someone, but to help your enemy in a dangerous situation. Just think of someone you would not want to help. In a place you would not want to be hanging around or helping in. To a person you would not want to give your money to. To a person you would not want to give your time to. Is there anyone in your mind that you can conjure up that fits that bill? We all like to think that we'd help anyone. But I bet there's somebody or some type of person that we're thinking, actually, that's a bit too far for me. You see, the man didn't know anything about this man. He didn't know if he started it. He didn't know if... um, there were robbers still there. He didn't know what would happen. And the people who walked by maybe thought they had a more important job to do. Perhaps they even had to get to the temple to worship God. And if they touched this man, they wouldn't be able to do that. But the man who showed mercy was aware of these difficulties. And he looked after the man as he would look after himself. He shows mercy. And this is reflects what Jesus says on, in the Sermon on the Mount. So in everything you do to others, what you want them to do to you, for this sums up the law and the prophets. This sums up. This sums up everything that we can read, every commandment, everything in the old and new is summed up in this one statement. Love your neighbor as yourself. And at that point, we might be tempted to say, well, okay, that's fine. We'll just go and do that. But what about love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength? Jesus, it's mentioned here, but Jesus says it's the greatest of all commandments. So how can everything be summed up in the second one? Well, without the first, we cannot do the second. We will simply burn out or fail. Look at this from Romans. This is really good for us. For what the law, that's all the rules, were powerless to do because it was weakened by the flesh. Because we, in our natural state, we want to look after ourselves. We don't want to stop on the road. We don't want to help someone we don't like. We don't want to put ourselves at risk. We don't want to uh, be um, out of pocket. God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh to be a sin offering. And so he condemned sin in the flesh. He removed it. He paid for it in order that the righteous requirements of the law might be fully met in us, who do not live according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. When we look at God's standards for us loving our neighbor, to love them as ourselves, we see that in the flesh, 
Without the Spirit, it is impossible. Jesus says, love like this, okay? Love when you are uncertain. Love when it costs you time. Love when it costs you money. Love when it costs you your stuff. Love when it costs you when you're stressed. Love when they've got more important things to do that day. Love like their needs are your needs. And not just for someone you like, but for your enemy. And where will this come from? This love that Jesus says is the second greatest commandment. And everything is summed up in this commandment. Where will that come from? Well, it's not going to come from me. Only one person can perfectly do this. And that is Jesus. We cannot measure his perfection. Not one of us can say, I'm fine, I'm doing that, I'm fine at that. We realize we need help. We need it from the one who came to us, who crossed the road, who bound up our wounds and rescued us. The message says this, and I love it. The word became flesh and blood and moved into the neighborhood. And Jesus traveled in the opposite direction from Jericho to Jerusalem, where he was beaten, he was stripped, he was um, hung up on a cross by his enemies, and he declared, Father, forgive. Jesus himself embodies what it looks like to have this kind of love. He says, I fulfill the law. I am the fulfillment. I perfectly show you what it is to love like this. So when we put ourselves on a scale, and that was just a bit of fun, but we can find ourselves being in the pride that I'm doing well or in the despair that I'm failing. But it's not what can I do, Jesus, but thank you for what you have done that you love, that you are loved, that you loved me, that you've lavished me with your love and you freely give me eternal life, this quality that rests in your love. So we need to ask, take my broken heart and give me your love. Jesus doesn't want to give us impossible rules we can't fulfill. He doesn't want to paralyze us with the needs around us, make us feel guilty. But he shows us the potential for love. And he longs to work in us and through us where we are. When we seek him, when we know him, when we receive his love, we will start to overflow. And that doesn't mean that it's going to be easy. We won't have dilemmas. We might have five people want an hour and we've only got one to give. What do we give away? What do we keep? If we give everything, we'll die. But loving your neighbor, loving God with all your heart, soul, and strength is your sustaining fountain. That's where we need to go. If you're worried, confused, despairing, desperate, broken, we go to Jesus. John 7 says this, let anyone who is thirsty, are you thirsty? Do you need more love, compassion, mercy, grace? Come to me and drink. 
Whoever believes in me, as scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. Too often we're trying to do, and then we come to Jesus and say, look what I've done, bless me. But actually it's not that, is it? Jesus, I come to you, I need you. And from that, we give. So we're going to pray now, and then we're going to stop, and we're going to have communion. But I just got a sense this morning, there were some people who are feeling really weary from doing and exhausted and tired and the thought of doing one more thing is too much and I really got the sense this morning that Jesus wants to fill you afresh so let's stand and I'll pray and if you want to hold your hands out to receive that's fine let's just stand together and we'll pray and then John will lead us in communion Father, we thank you that we can call you Father. Thank you for your immense love that you have showered upon us and your desire to give us more of you. We repent now of our hard hearts that make excuses. We repent of our pride. We repent of our self-pity. Thank you that you sent Jesus to die for us to change our hard hearts. Jesus, replace them with yours. We need your spirit to fill us afresh. Holy Spirit, we welcome you. Come and fill our every need that we might overflow with living water to those around us. In Jesus' precious name. Amen.